Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. And so that evening, she messaged me, and she was like, I need your help. Mesdames et messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Hello, Allison. How are you today? I am so excited. Are you? I, I gotta tell you, I'm tired. Oh, why? I couldn't sleep last night. Because I'm so excited on the We got two weeks until Pyeongchang and we are talking figure skating. I know, and this is your favorite, right? This is the episode I've been waiting to do since we started. We've got a uh, jam-packed episode for you today. Figure skating is always one of the most popular sports at the games. It's bodies defying the laws of physics while wearing costumes and uh, skating to music. Yeah, it was the first winter sport in the Olympics. It was competed at the games in 1908 before there even was a winter games. Check off one trivia question that I wrote. Gonna see. We'll have to see how many of my trivia questions you answer before we actually have trivia time. Because I and did, this is the... I did come up with six. I knew I had to be prepared this week. And this is the week that I'm the most nervous about trivia. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't go hard. I honestly okay. didn't go hard because I thought, okay, trivia time has to be kind of quick because we have so much show with our guests. I know. So, Me too. so let's, let's get go. to it. Let's get to it. First up, we are talking with our friend Nathan Bartholomew again. As you remember, Nathan was at Sochi, where he represented the U.S. in pair skating. Back then, he was paired with Felicia Zhang, and they got 12th place in the competition. Then Zhang retired, and Nathan got a new partner. Then he had ankle surgery, and then the new partnership didn't last. So in July 2016, he teamed up with former single skater Deanna Stellato, who had retired from competition in 2001. So 16 years later, when she's 34, she decides to come back into the sport and she auditioned to pair with Nathan and they hit it off and they've been competing ever since. This year, they placed third at U.S. Nationals and they're the second alternate for Pyeongchang because this year the U.S. only gets to send one pair to compete at the Olympics. They're going to be the first alternate for Worlds and this week they are representing the U.S. at the 2018 Four Continents Championship. 
let's take a listen to what Nate has to say about pair skating. Okay. okay. You've got a lovely new partner. Yes. How, how hard is the process to find a new partner? You know, it's really, it's really kind of challenging because basically <laughs> what you go through is, you know, from, from coach to coach, you know, they're always, you know, your head coach is always looking out for a person for you to skate with. And then basically the coaches contact each other and it actually gets, it's a lot easier for a guy to find a girl because there tends to be less guys in the sport. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, but as you get up to higher levels, there's really, there's really few people that are kind of like, you know, at that level that we're all at over here. So basically like finding some, it's basically comes down to finding someone with the same skill set and the same sort of technique as you, because we have to match after all. So I'd say the hardest part is like finding someone, number one, that you connect with on the ice and you can communicate with. And then number two, it's finding somebody that like some body types don't match up. You know, if you're looking to be perfect, if you have somebody with really long legs, for instance, and you have really short legs, like, your line's not really going to match too, too well. But there's a certain, I mean, there's almost a foot height difference. Yeah, there's about a foot, there's about a foot of height difference. So as, but it's like the symmetry of the body, you know what I mean? Okay. Like that has a lot to do with it. Okay. Now, when you're talking about the skill set, is it more level or style? It's kind of both, okay. really. Um, as far as the level's concerned, you know, you do want to find somebody like, you know, if you have a person who isn't very good at jumping, you might not want to team up with someone who's like really awesome. <laughs> like, okay. I want to like find someone who you can develop with, especially as a young skater. Like you don't want to, you know, you wouldn't want to put together someone who's like veteran, like senior skater with like a low level, like novice skater, because, right. you know, there's a lot of different things that come into play as far as technique and like, you know, maturity or age difference or you know, that has a lot to do, you know, we spend about eight or nine hours a day with each other. So that has a lot to do with it. Getting along is a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you, I mean, you really, and I saw some of the um, footage even from this year's because the footwork was matching up perfectly. Yeah. Which is the most difficult match, I would think. Yeah, that part, I mean, the footwork, especially because it's such a long element, like it takes about 30 seconds of, you know, your program's only three minutes long and it's about a sixth of that. So trying to match throughout the whole thing is is probably one of the more difficult things, yeah. Right. So how, how did you quickly mesh with Dina? It's a little bit of a couple of things. So she's really adaptable and mm -hmm. she's able to pick up steps pretty quick and like mold into like whatever shape we need her to be in or whatever timing. But a lot of that is like, I've been skating pairs myself for 16 years or mm -hmm. 17 years. So uh, a lot of that piece of it, it has to do with me just being good at matching the person next to me. Cause I've had five different partners. Right. I mean, I've been doing it for so long and it's just like, you start to kind of develop this like intuition, like where, you know, you, I start to be able to think about, not only what I'm doing on the ice, but also where is your partner all the time and what's she doing and did she trip or am I still in line with her or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's weird how it starts to happen on its own, but I wouldn't say that I really developed that until probably like maybe 10 years in, honestly. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Being so young, there's a certain maturity that you have to develop to, to be so aware of the other person. Yeah, and it's, I don't feel like it's something I ever practiced either. I think it just honestly takes time. Yeah, I'm not sure how many 
15, 16 year old boys would yeah, be, would really be, would be aware. I mean, <laughs> like focused on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's an interesting sport in that like youth is really celebrated, but the maturity that older skaters bring to the performances and the the knowledge and being able to work with each other is really it's an interesting juxtaposition on right. what what kind of gets valued. Yeah, it's 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 crazy cuz like in the single skating you see a lot more of like you know, it's like, oh, it's 13-year-old girls right. beating everybody in the world. That's crazy. But especially with pairs and dance. Yeah, they're old. Um, it's like when you go, when you get to the Olympics, when you see, like, the top on the podium at Worlds or even at Nationals, it's like it's the teams that have been there. It's their sixth or seventh mm-hmm. time at this competition. You know, there's a couple pairs. Actually, this year, there's a couple people at this Olympics that this will be their fifth Olympics, you know, and that's just an outrageous thing even if it's your fourth or fifth it's that's crazy to me but you know it just shows you what we're up against or 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 what you're up against when you get to that level you're i mean you're competing against people not necessarily the team like together have for that long but i mean women and men who have been in this sport and been to the olympics every time for the last 20 years you know right so on that question of the overtime what has changed in terms of what's valued in the scoring this time around versus Sochi? It's always been kind of the same thing. You know, when for pairs, like they talk a lot about, you know, there's a couple teams doing quads, like yeah. throw quads out or loop or, or quad twists. So there's like a lot of that stuff in there, which is like it adds an excitement factor. But those aren't always the teams that win. You know, it's really... There's a you get points for your grade of execution or your GOE, yeah. Which is your you know each judge gives you a mark from plus three to minus three, and basically what's valued is how well you do things. So you could do the same program as you know the team that wins and be last if you don't perform it well, and that's where the challenge really lies in the sport is that like you have to do it perfectly when it counts. That's why we train so much. So you're not thinking when you're out on the ice. Exactly. So um, I'd say that's that's of the most value is your performance or how you carry yourself or how you portray the program. And then as, alongside that is basically the grade of execution of what you're doing. So you're looking for like you don't want to see any like snow come off the ice on a landing or you want to you don't want to see any bobbles through the footwork. You don't want to see any of that. Right. So going back to the height difference, one of the yes. things is matching up obviously with the height mm-hmm. difference on things like jumps and spins. Yes. So obviously the smaller person is going to spin faster? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Okay, so tell me how that's one thing that's always fascinated me is how do you make that happen? With uh like specifically with like the side by side spins. Yeah, the side by side spins and and the side by side triple jumps because that's both so... you have to adjust. The, the jumps are a little bit more challenging because a lot of the times, you know, you get a pretty athletic guy and a um, more petite girl. Like, just the height difference alone, looking at two people, you're going to be like, okay, well, the guy's going to jump a little higher. You're, you know, you're pretty right. sure. So the girl's going to spin a little bit faster. So for the jumps, we really just pay attention to the rhythm and the timing going into the jump, making sure that the takeoffs are at the same time. Because if it's that outrageous... It's it's not it's not very often that outrageous that 
a skater, two skaters going down the ice and they set at the same time and their rhythm is good and their knee bend is at the same time and they pick in at the same time, they go up in the air at the same time, it's very it's very unusual that you would really notice like a one person lands and then the other person lands. Okay. So um, it's so small. If you've, if you've picked at the same time for a triple toe loop, you're going to land close enough together for the naked eye. Yeah, pretty okay. close. And I'd say if, if, if something's going to be off, that would be the most forgivable. Okay. Because while you're on the ice skating down, where, when you're skating down the ice and you have control of yourself, you shouldn't be off. But if you jump and it's like, well, one person jumped higher, it, it, it's a little bit less like... It's a little bit more forgivable if it's at the end of the jump. But again, it's, I mean, to the naked eye, you're really not going to see that much of a difference. Right. Um, as far as the spinning is concerned, usually, like, for my experience, uh, like, if, if, my, if Deanna, for instance, like, if she really whipped into a spin, I don't think I'd be able to keep up. Okay. <laughs> um, so basically what we do what we've done to like match because our side-by-side spins is one of our strongest elements. Yes. So she kind of, she kind of just goes about 90%. Okay. And then, and then stays there. And then I'm actually the one who spots the revolutions and calls when to change and, and does that. So if she goes like 90%, I can go a little bit faster than that if I need to, to like keep it in sync. But like I said, I mean, she is smaller and a little bit lighter, so uh, she could really probably lap me if she really tried to. Yeah, if you two did side-by-side scratch bins. Exactly. That would be interesting. Exactly. But, I mean, again, it's like just the same as the jumps. It's all about the precision going into it. Okay. And then moderation is probably the biggest thing I'd say (laughs) is key when you're, like, learning that kind of stuff. And then is it hard to control when you got a lot of adrenaline going through you for competition? Um, It's interesting. Yeah, it's it's not. Usually we have a couple days of practice uh, before the competition, and the adrenaline kind of kicks in that. So you work it out. Yeah, so like usually whenever, I mean, I'm this way and I've seen other people get this way, but uh, usually when you get to competition, you know, you're like, oh, I'm like, you have these enormous jumps and my spins are twice as fast. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's definitely like a noticeable pickup when you have a little bit of adrenaline like that. But um, as far as pairs is concerned for me, it's like, you know, again, Deanna's really good at like when she gets to competition, she, she gets a little bit faster in the spins. But then she stays there. So I'm like, oh, okay. And then I usually pick it up too. So it's like, oh, okay. So once we do the first one, it's like, okay, this is how fast the spin's going to be now. And hmm. it just kind of blends together from there. It's it. I, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard because I don't even really think about it too much. It's not, it's not a huge difference. I've always wondered that because I would always think that the girl, you know, these tiny little girls would just fly. Right. If you, because yeah. <laughs> when they do the throws or when they mm-hmm. do the triple twists. Yeah. They're spinning awfully fast. Right, right. Yeah, and, they go they go pretty fast. Yeah. yeah. And how do you learn how to gauge the throw? Because that's the other element I wonder about because that's where things can get made or broken by the the throwing of your partner. From a from a young age, like it's interesting cuz if you watch like very little kids learn like throw waltz jumps, single jumps, easy mm-hmm. things. And then if you have somebody who's together for a few years from the beginning, um, you can kind of see it develop into an actual throw. As far as like two senior skaters getting together, like for instance, Deanna, when we teamed up, had zero pair experience. So basically what we did is we 
put her in a in a harness. We have this harness that um, a lot of people have it, but it's it looks like a big fishing pole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the girl strapped in under the arms and around the waist, and basically we just did that. And then you start out with like, okay, well, like let's do you know let's do a single. And does that feel under control? Okay, let's let's do a double because she can do a double loop on her own. So let's go. Uh, let's go do a double, but like, don't do too much. Let's just like get our bearings and like learn what a throw is. And then from there, it just kind of develops. And, you know, as it gets more secure, it's always uh, usually as a girl feels more secure, then it's easier. And she wants even more, even more height and more distance, because the more time you have in the air, the easier it is to spot your landing and take your time and be able to react because you're only still in the air for under a second. So So the more the better. Thank you so much, Nate. If you, if you want to follow Nate, he is on Twitter at Nate Bartholomew. That's N-A-T-E-B-A-R-T-H-O-L-O-M-A-Y. And he's also Nate Bartholomew on Instagram. We'll have links to his social media feeds in the show notes. And we'll also put some videos up from his and Deanna's performance from the U.S. Nationals. Allison, it, didn't you almost cry at their short program? It was I so didn't beautiful. Know. I didn't almost cry. <laughs> this is was, me we're talking I about. It I was, cried. It was so beautiful. I'm getting teary thinking about it right now and just talking it was, about it. Yeah. That's they, you know what? I think that's what really when when a figure skating program is on point, it moves you in a way that no other sport I think does. Yes. And we are really excited to have a mental coach with us on the show. We were able to talk to Rebecca Dixon, who is an international mind-body performance coach for figure skaters, and she is currently working with Megan Demel, who, along with Pear's partner, Eric Radford, will be representing Canada at Pyeongchang. So let's take a listen to how Rebecca gets athletes in the proper Olympic frame of mind. So I know you worked with Megan Demel and Eric Radford. Yes. Yes, so that's who you're specifically working for for this Olymp- working with for this Olympics. And it's just it's Megan, just Megan. It's just so, Megan. Yeah. Okay, because I know in Sochi she had a few issues. So was that the impetus to get in touch with you? N- no, actually, it was this fall. They start so they had a tough season last year. Yes. They've been skating really well since Sochi. Sochi was a, a low point for them, but then they had been skating. I mean, they won two world championships back to back, right? 2015, 2016. And then 2017, uh, actually, I met her in 2016. We did an interview about their mental training and what they were doing and what was working for them. And they said that's really what helped them, especially win the second world, because mm-hmm. it's hard to come off a world championship and then go in and defend, you know, you're at the top, you've won pretty much everything. And it's like, where do you go from there? So maintaining that they had had a tough season that that season, but then came back at worlds and just like rocked it big time in 2016 in Boston. So we did an interview then and um, they told me kind of what was working for them. And they had worked with a sports psychologist in Montreal, not skater specific, but just somebody that they were working with and seemed good. So then they went into that season uh, last season, seeming really well trained and ready to do it. And they just had this really tough season. And so they ended up seventh at Worlds last year, and it was a that was a low for them because they hadn't been you know seventh in years and years and years. So they were training for the Olympics this summer, and they went into their first competition of the Grand Prix, which was the Autumn Classic in Montreal in the fall, and they did really they had a really hard skate, and so that evening 
she messaged me and she was like, I need your help. And uh, I said, sure. So we'll get started like ASAP. And she said, I'm going to Italy to do two weeks of training. Can we start from once I land in Italy? So that Monday, after they skated at the Autumn Classic and had such a really hard time, uh, we started working together. So what does that mean? Where do, where do you actually start? So because she's such a seasoned competitor, I mean, she's been skating. Right. She's been around a long time. Oh, my goodness. And she already, she's very intuitive. She she knows what works for her. And she understands the mental side because she's done mental training with sports psychologists in the past through Skate Canada. It was definitely a different process going into that than it would be with somebody who's brand new, like a young skater going, you know, starting it for the first time. So I think we just, how we began was we just focused really on the, what was what was the struggle with that last competition? And what were some of the things that she was saying to herself about the season? Where were her goals focused for going into the Olympics? What was she expecting? You know, what was her big goal for the Olympics? I mean, they've won everything. So to me, in my mind, it was, they're going for gold, right? Why are they still going? They're going for the golds, right? That's what that's a big part of it. And it was interesting to talk to her about that because she her her goal when we first started, she said, was to just skate their best at the Olympics. And I said, well, why? You know that when you skate your best, you're going to win because it's just the numbers. The numbers, they just have that high technical. They go out there and they do the throw quad sow. They're going to win. They do everything else. They're going to win. The numbers just are there. And she said, you know, you're right. She said, I don't know why I'm I'm not saying I want the gold medal. I guess I'm just afraid. And so that's kind of where we began was like, let's set this big goal for yourself. And like, let's push you in that direction. Because I think that what had happened is they had won so much that they were now giving themselves the, they were giving themselves permission to not win. And mm. that kind of held them back. So like they, they were afraid. She was afraid to say, I want the gold medal. Of course. It's a defense huh. mechanism in a way, right? You're protecting yourself to say um, not to set that huge goal. Because then if you don't reach it, oh, I failed. So, you know, it was a bit of that going on, but they needed that big goal to like motivate them and, and get them going. And so, of course, the goal is, you know, to, of course, skate a personal best and leave the ice feeling like they laid it all down on the ice. But with that should come, you know, a medal. And, and going for the gold because they that's a realistic goal for them. Now, what specifically is she saying to herself in those few seconds when you're standing in your starting position before the music starts? You know, there's that one moment where you always see the skaters kind of take a deep breath. And what what are you telling her to put in her head? Um, and I think, you know, that's interesting because I think it's, it's a lot of the skaters, it's the same thing. We work on a process of... Um, getting in the zone. I call it getting in the zone. And really what it focuses on is using keywords to keep you present in the moment. When you watch a skater out there doing a long program in, in the senior, at the senior level, these are like four minute programs and they're jam packed with elements, right? Spins and jumps, footwork sequence, spiral sequence, choreo stuff. And it is when, when you think about the program as a whole, it can be very overwhelming. And so you want to break that program down into each individual element and be completely present when you're doing that element, whether it's an easy spin or a throw quad sow, which is ridiculously like difficult. I can imagine. I can't imagine doing it. But 
So whether it's something that's so simple or not, it's very important to be in the moment completely when you're doing that thing. So when she's in that starting position, she's focusing on the first element of the program, the key words on the first element of the program. And they've just made a big change with their music. So they've just transitioned from an old piece that they had used. They resurrected a, a long program uh, that they had used in 2015 to Muse. And they switched it back to their Adele program from 2016. So there's a feel to that music. And there's a, a just a choreographic sort of um, bit at the beginning that's all about breathing and getting into your legs and relaxing and so she's she really focuses on being present in that that little bit like it's like 10 seconds of choreography breathing in that moment feeling the moment and then and then it's completely focused on the first element which is um the twist the triple twist Mm -hmm. so then it's all about the keywords the one to three keywords that's what i always suggest is one to three no more than three on the twist so that she's completely in the moment of the twist. So she's not thinking about the side-by-side triplets. They're not thinking about the quad throw. They're just completely in that moment going into that element. Once the element's complete, you're, it's about, you know, it's done. So whether it was the best one you ever did or the worst or something in between, it's done. So it's about letting it go, detaching from the emotions, letting it go and moving on to the next one. So then you're, again, going through that process of flooding your mind with the keywords, doing the element, completing it, detaching from the emotions, and letting it go. And you go through this whole process with each element so that you're completely in the moment and checking off. And that's one of the things with skating is projecting emotion to the audience and connecting with the audience. And yet, if you're so focused on the element are you losing that? I mean, because they're fantastic at projecting, especially she has that beautiful face and is always smiling and, and really connects very well. So I think it's interesting. How do you separate the two? That's a really good question. And that was something that we kind of were trying to figure out with, with her. We talk, She and I talked a lot about that. With the Muse program, it was, it was more about focusing, like going from one element to the next, because there wasn't a lot of sort of flowy choreographic stuff in between. But now with this new long, the resurrection of the Adele program, there are more beautiful, flowy, just fluid things going on in between. And so I think for her, it's about allowing the space between one element to the next the space to breathe, that's usually a spot where you breathe, allowing there to be that space. And uh, before, it just just starting to flood the mind with the keywords on the element, maybe a couple seconds before it actually starts. So there is a space where you're not actually focused on that element. There is a space of just being present with the choreography and the music and breathing. Now, will you talk to her while she's in Korea? Yeah. So we, okay, what will those be right before, right those days before? So we do all of our coaching online. And so everything's done over Skype or FaceTime, and which allows us to have that like access at all times of the day or night, which might be the case because of the time difference, me in Ottawa, and she's going to be on that South Korean time. So I'm sure it's like at least 10 hours. <laughs> 
So I work with skaters in Australia as well. And that's what it is, the, the difference, right? So often it's like they're asleep when I'm awake, you know, but um, absolutely. So my plan is I'm there whenever she needs me. I feel like we've done so much great work though that she has so many tools at this point. She's been practicing this for, you know, a good five months now, really working so hard on all, on establishing these mindset skills. And I mean, she already had such great ones, but this is about enhancing, enhancing and, and taking it to another level, like to get her to be the most mentally fit she's ever been in her career was the goal. And so I think that um, she has those skills that she can do it. But I'm going to be there just, you know, if she needs to text me and just say, I just need a reminder. Sometimes that's all it is. Remind me about what we talk about, like how I want to feel going into the competition. Remind me about the energy that I need to have. And so it's so amazing because she can just message me and I can just message her back and it's like instant. But I'm also planning on doing a um, like a recording for her. So she can have it. So like an audio recording of all the reminders of the things that we've been working on and the things that have created her success over the season. So we'll establish those things. Those I call them the factors, factors that contributed to your success or the recipe for success. So when I do this, this, and this, it makes me feel this way. And then I go out and I perform my best. So those will be the things that I will re- remind her of in that little recording so that she can just listen to that and have that reminder any time of the day or night that it's not like an issue with the time and that sort of thing so that's something that I'm planning on creating for her and just I'll just send it to her so that she can have it and listen to it because that's all it takes sometimes is just those little tweaks those little um, keyword reminders well they did a beautiful job at the Canadian Nationals they They just looked gorgeous And that was exciting because they are such fantastic skaters. Yeah. And I actually got to watch them live. I was there. So (laughs) I even met her live, I've seen them live, you know, so it's amazing to watch them live and all the skaters. I mean, you just see this energy and this power that you don't get across the screen. So it was really nice to have that connection and to be able to, and especially with the send off to the Olympics. So let's say on on both ends of the spectrum, say you do a jump and you fall. And then say you do a jump that you've been working really hard on nailing and you nailed it. So you've got this, not crushing defeat is not the great greatest term, but okay, hey, I got to get over a failure or like I'm so exuberant and I just want to like scream because I finally did it. How do you let both of those scenarios go to get onto your next element? So that's all part of that getting in the zone. And that comes with a practice, of course. You know, when I teach the process of getting in the zone, this idea of like flooding the mind with the keywords, completing the element, detaching from the outcome and letting it go and doing that over and over and over, the skater needs to practice that in practice so that they can get used to the process and it becomes automatic for them. And so it's about like uh, you use the keyword of letting it go. So like, you know, whether it was the best or the worst or somewhere in between, it's done. So sometimes I'll just say, use that prompt for yourself. Say it to yourself when you're in the moment, let it go. And then what happens is as soon as you start to flood the mind with the keywords of the next element, your mind can only focus on one thing at a time. And so it can't go to that place 
the feeling place of like, oh, I'm so disappointed or, oh, I'm so elated, right? It, it can't go there because you're, you're just, you're, you're accessing sort of the computer side of your brain and you're just filling your mind. You're telling your mind what it needs to think. So, you know, I'm going into the double axle. So I need to think about up, right side, straight, up, right side, straight. So you're re repeating that in your head. And when you're doing that, you can't think about, oh, I just made a bad mistake. Oh, I wish I could start over again. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Or, oh, that was amazing. I can't believe I just did that. This is insane. I want to go give my coach a hug, you know, because you're just using, you're using the mind in a very efficient way by telling it what to think. And so it's completely focused. And so you have to detach from the um, feelings, the feeling side of yourself. I often will say like, leave that at the boards or leave that in the parking lot of the arena. You can pick that all up later <laughs> because um, the emotions can really get in the way. Which is interesting in figure skating because emotion is so much part of what you have to bring to your performance. But it's more of a controlled emotion in that it's like a present emotion. So if you watch somebody like Elage Balde, I don't know if you you know of him. He's a Canadian skater. He skated at nationals. His videos from nationals have been shared like hundreds of thousands of times and watched hundreds of thousands of times he came fourth he didn't come first he didn't come second didn't make it to worlds he's going to um four continents but he is like an amazing performer he's so present in the moment so if you watch somebody like him he's almost like a kurt browning just so he brings the audience in they're on their feet before the performance is done it's amazing to watch he is very present in the emotion of the program but that's part of being present too right is being in the program so it's it's not about your your there's two kinds of sort of feelings or two kinds of emotions there's those emotions of like future and past oh i can't believe i did that or why did i do that or i wish i could do it again and then there's those emotions of just present being present right and connecting with the audience and listening to the music and expressing the music so those are the emotions you want to tap into, and you want to get rid of those sort of past and future emotions. Which is interesting because then once you are done and you have to deal with whatever emotion, yeah. good or bad, so then you go and meet future emotions. Or do you have tools that you use to deal with those, like once you look back on your, your entire routine and say, okay, I did this, I, I fell on this element, like... Mm -hmm how to how to overcome that the next time absolutely so the week after a competition with all my skaters we mind map their performances and so what that means is i just break we break down the performance in a mind map kind of diagram so in the middle you know a circle and it says great performance great skate great short program or whatever and then we come up with we just make little extensions all around and little bubbles and we come up with the factors that contributed to the success or the factors that contributed to the disappointment. And depending on how the performance went, we come up with all of those things because your performance leaves a breadcrumb trail, right? Success leaves a breadcrumb trail. There's things that you did the week before, the days before, the day of that contributed to that success or that contributed to that failure or disappointment so when we spend time analyzing that we can come up with all of those things and then it's like we know what we did that worked so we're going to do that again and what we did that didn't work and we come up with solutions so what we're not going to do 
right? And how we can come up with a solution for that. So when it's fresh in your mind that week after, we completely analyze and mind map the performances so that you you figure out a recipe for your success. So when I do this, this, and this, this is the outcome. So it's replicating success over and over and over instead of just crossing your fingers, crossing your toes and hoping it's all going to work out, right? Like there's actually like evidence for success. So I teach the skaters that. It's pretty cool. That, that's yeah, what we it do with it's our so podcast. Cool. <laughs> we're just like, oh yeah. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> we're it's podcast like mapping now. <laughs> we're going to prayer, right? Like this <laughs> I know. Well, I could teach you ladies how to. I know. I think we need some mind mapping. (laughs) And that's the thing. It's not just about skating. I mean, I am teaching like athletic performance, but I'm also teaching life performance. That's what gets me really lit up and excited about the work I do with the athletes. This is my way in to, to reach them and start working with them. But the things that we're working on is going to lay the foundation for everything that will come after skating too. Thank you, Rebecca. And if you want to know more about uh, Rebecca's coaching, find her on the web at RebeccaDixon.ca. That's R-E-B-K-A-H-D-I-X-O-N dot C-A. On Instagram, she's Rebecca Dixon Mindset. On Twitter, she is the Rebecca Dixon. And on Facebook, she is Rebecca Dixon Coaching. We'll have links to those in our show notes, but get on our Facebook page because she's got a whole bunch of videos and they're just fantastic. Last up. Oh my gosh. This is so exciting, isn't it? This was so much fun. I can't even. I know. So much fun. We have got the man of figure skating. Some people know him as an architect. Some people know him as a business consultant. But in the figure skating world, Jackie Wong is a rock star analyst. He is the man behind the website rockerskating.com and his Twitter handle is also rockerskating. He quickly and astutely covers figure skating events around the world, providing fast results and some of the best analysis in the sport. And along with his own website and social media feeds, he's also the host of the podcast Ice Talk on Ice Network. Here's Jackie telling us what we should be looking for at the Olympic competition. So for for the casual fan, I mean you're right. The the falls are basically the the, the biggest deterrent. Um, but then you get into things like popped jumps. You get into things like under rotations, which even for uh, more seasoned figure skating fans, it's it's a little bit tougher to discern. Popped jumps are uh, I think I, I don't think. The, the casual figure skating fan understands the the penalty that a, a pop jump gets, right? So uh, if you're doing a quad, for example, and it's a, it's a quad toe and it's supposed to be 10 plus points, the fall on a quad toe basically gets you to about six points of, of, um, of base value. And then, not of base value, of total value after the grades of execution happen and, and all, this, all this and all that. But then if you popped that quad into a single toe, you basically get zero points. So that... Okay, so popping is you meant to do a quad, but you only completed one or two rotations. Or, or even three rotations. Like you can pop a quad into a triple. But that's, that's rare. It's rare to see a popped quad into a triple. It's much more likely that it's popped into a single or a double. 
so and, that's, and how how yeah. how does it happen that how does a popped jump happen or how does a skater pop a jump pop jumps happen pretty automatically it's something that your body feels something is off and it it just uh you 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 go into a mode where you're like no i'm not gonna pull in and and a lot of times it's a it's a muscle memory kind of thing and if you say slipped off your edge or slipped off your toe or just there's something that was off about that the entry of that jump that's when you that's when you doubt yourself and your body knows okay i'm going to be able to land a single toe or i'm going to be able to land a double toe and and that's when pops happen the judges are given a planned i mean i know short program there are required elements they know what you're going to do yep that's true in long program as well um there are no requirements per right. se there are um, there are like elements that you are that you need to do or that you are allowed to do so for the men for example you have a maximum of eight jumping passes. And when you're in a profit maximization equation like a free skate, you uh, you do all eight jump elements in order to get all the points that you need to get. So um, so eight jump requirements, uh, you know, a certain number of spins, a choreographic sequence and a, and a step sequence. So the judges, the, 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 the technical panel and the judges get a set list of the the elements that a skater has planned oh they do okay so they They know what you're gonna do they know what you're planning to do do. yeah whether or not you're gonna do that is a whole different different story so um nathan chen for example um a name you will hear a lot about over the next month and a half he has a, a a very strong history of changing his mind literally right before he starts his program uh, because his his warm-up went this way or that way or his practices during the week have gone this way and that way. And the, the skaters will submit those those planned elements before the competition actually starts. So whatever happens during the week, it may change the way that you uh, you want to approach your program um, because of the percentages of what you're doing in practice. And and Nathan, because he has five different quads in his arsenal, he's able to make the kinds of adjustments based on how he feels and not actually have any issues with you know losing points over you know watering down quote unquote his. So do they have to approach the judges at any point and let them know that those changes have happened or it's no, okay. The technical callers will just, will just call the jumps and the spins as they see it. It just, it allows them to kind of watch out for stuff as it happens. But now it's it's just, you get this many points for this spin, this many points for this jump and they construct the programs based on maximizing that total that's at the technical score especially for the men has really gained kind of an advantage over that program component score and so that's why you see the technical mark go higher and higher and higher because the men understand that if they need if they want to win they're going to need to 
continue to up their their technical score and and now that it's kind of more and more possible to do all these quads that's what's been happening over the last couple of years so that's something uh, that's been different okay so they they got rid of the 6.0 system and put in this system to make it more fair to make it more representative yes and you know it came out of the cheating scandal from 2002 yeah 2002 has it accomplished that it has it has not Okay. It has in the sense that, uh, especially for the technical mark, you are very much able to say, look, Skater X did a triple let's triple toe, and uh, she got this number of points, and it was done pretty well, and so she got this amount of grade of execution. That's why you get the score that you get to. So the, the technical mark tends to be much more objective and fair, and it also accountable because you're literally seeing all of the elements come out in the protocols sheets that 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 come out after the competitions. Uh, the component mark is where there is, you know, not so much funny business, but that's where it gets more subjective. And the components have been defined such that it's more measurable because back in the old days, it literally was like one mark for artistic impression, one mark for, you know, presentation. Now it's literally five marks that have to do with skating skills, transitions, composition, and in, in, uh, interpretation, and choreography. And so there is a little bit more of a, a push toward objectivity in the subjective world, uh, but that's where you know, preferences come in, um, biases come in, whether it's availability bias or it's national bias or it's any sort of other kind of bias, like, uh, you know, but I would say for the mo for the vast majority of, of the skating that I've seen over the past 14 years since the, the, the judging system has come about in 2003, that the, the 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 you you might be able to argue one thing or another with with components, but the general results have been pretty good. Do you think it makes it more difficult or easier for fans to connect with the scoring and and where people are and how they compare? I think it depends on who you talk to. Okay. <laughs> Uh, if you talk to someone who has watched figure skating since you know the 60s and they don't see 6.0 anymore, uh, it, it gets to be like, well, what are all these points? But then when you have somebody who is able to explain what all these points are about, it gets to be much more understandable because you know you can think about 6.0 all you want with with those marks. There have been so many times back in the old judging system days where literally people are completely confused as to why skater X got a 5.8 and skater Y got a 5.7 right. when it looks like they did exactly the same thing. And now at least you're able to justify that by saying, look, the technical part of this, you can see what jumps they did. You can see the points that they earned for those jumps and spins and, and step sequences. And that's why you got this. So who should we be watching? Who should we be paying attention to? Start with, start with the ladies. Um, there are really, for me, four names to look at for for the ladies right now. Um, it's Yevgenia Medvedeva, Alina Zagitova, both from Russia, 
Carolina Costner from Italy. She's been around since 2004, I think, in the senior ranks. I mean, she she was the one who denied Michelle Kwan a, mm-hmm. kind of a spotless uh, top three medal you know, finished for like 10 years uh, with that last competition at, at 2005 Worlds where she got, where Costner got the bronze and Michelle mm-hmm. got fourth. And uh, and the last one is Caitlin Osmond from Canada. So the Americans, you know, we have, we have a, we have a very nice, nice team going. We've got our most consistent skater in ages in Brady Tunnell, who's the new U.S. champion. We've got a resurgent, Marai Nagasu, who has a triple axel, who is totally going in now to her second Olympics after being fourth in 2010, looking like, well, looking better than ever, but looking like she has uh, she has a job to do and she wants to prove it to everybody that she's still in it. And then you've got Karen Chen, who was fourth last year at the World Championships. So all three of these skaters could, you know, do some damage at the Olympics, but. You know, uh, a lot of people have been talking about Medvedeva versus Zagitova as the, the the battle to watch for the gold medal simply because they are so consistent. But if Carolina Costner or Kaylin Osman can actually put down two clean programs, they have really got a shot there. Americans do have a very good shot on the men's side. They sure do. And one person in particular, Nathan Chen, at this point, based on everything that's been happening so far this season, I would say he is actually now very much a favorite for the gold. Um, and I say that because this season has been a very inconsistent season for the men. There have been a lot of mistakes. Um, there have been, and Nathan Chen included, making a lot of mistakes. Um, there have been skaters trying to kind of outdo each other with with the technical elements and and just not with the percentages that you would be hoping that they would have in their programs. And so it's been a little bit of a messy fall season um, on the Grand Prix uh, and then also on, in a lot of the national championships. And, um, you know, I, I used to call it the big six with Nathan Chen, Shoma Uno, Yuzuru Hanyu, Patrick Chan, Bo Yang Jin, and Mikhail Koyata. And now maybe it's the big five. I don't know because Patrick Chan just hasn't been his, he hasn't been himself this season. And he's also scaling down his technical elements to try to be much cleaner. Um, oh, and, and Javier Fernandez, what I forget about him. Um, actually, Collada was not part of the conversation until fairly recently. So those names that I mentioned, those are names that we should be looking for. Uh, but what is also happening is our reigning Olympic champion, Yuzuru Hanyu, had an injury in late November, mid-November, um, and he, he basically was uh, trying something very hard in practice, the quad lutz. That was a new jump for him, and uh, this was at home at NHA Trophy in, in Japan, and he did it in practice and just and uh, really wrecked his ankle and it was a. Uh, I, I think there was some ligament damage, and it took him a while to even get back on the ice. And I think he he got back on the ice, um, not jumping a few weeks ago. And could be another disaster, like it was four years ago, or it could be really spectacular. Um, that's. I'm I'm hoping for the latter. Okay, so dance. Dance. 
I mean, the, the North American teams have have really made a push to the top, and and who, the the Russian and former Soviet Union kind of Eastern Bloc sort of teams who used to dominate ice dance are no longer um, nearly as dominant. Um, in fact, Russia's best hope would probably be a top five finish, and that's even that is pushing it because of the depth of of ice dance at this point uh two favorites um the 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 french and the canadians uh the the uh, papadakis and cicerone who won two of the last three world championship titles and then tessa virtue and scott moyer who won the 2010 olympics won the 2014 olympic silver and then came back to competition last year and won the world championships over the French, and they they have had a big, pretty pretty intense battle this season. And they, they know the stakes, they know how close it is. And um, and in the in their very recent competition, the Grand Prix final, it was it was the French team who prevailed. So is that momentum going into the Olympics? Is is that enough to kind of carry them forward? Who knows? But uh, one thing I do know is that it very much will come down to those those four performances and how you know if if there are any micro mistakes that make them uh lose base value points because you know something was out of step or something was not a clean turn or um things that to the naked eye it's probably less um less discernible because of that uh because because of of how kind of nitpicky uh, ice dance um, calling, the uh, element calling is and judging is. The U.S. is very strong. Happens uh, with the top two teams. You could you could bet that uh, one of those teams could have uh, some shot at the silver um, at at the least. Um, and and you know you would think that all eyes would be on Maya and Alex Shibutani who have won. Uh, world medals the last few years and have for me one of the best short dances in the world this this season but um, uh, you've got two other teams you know Hubble and Donahue and Chalk and Bates coming in very very hot as well so um, that's going to be a, a really fun one to watch and then you've got you've also got the other Canadians and then you've got the Russians and you've got like it's 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 dance is super deep and um, it's it really only takes one little error for everything to get sh- uh, shaken up. So in pairs, yes, is it still the Russians, Russians, Russians? No, it is not the no. Russians, Russians, uh, Russians. Um, it is the Germans, Chinese, and Russians. Okay. Savchenko and Masso, they they did win the Grand Prix final, and uh, over the reigning world champions Sway and Han, who are who are the Chinese pair that I was talking about, and then you've got a couple of Russian pairs, and then you've got a a, a Canadian pair, and then you've got another Chinese pair. Um, and again, like dance, pairs is very deep. Um, but I think you've got you have two favorites for the gold, and then you've got a bunch of pairs who are looking at bronze and looking to sneak into those top two spots. But it's uh, last last year at the World Championships, it was it was a fight just to get into the final 
uh, 16 for the free skate. Like one of the American pairs didn't even get in to the final 16, which is just crazy. And and so uh, with pairs, uh, kind of like with the men, it, it could be really spectacular. And it could be a, a, a complete disaster. But I, I, I think... I think with the pairs as they are now, it's actually going to be a really, really fun discipline to watch. And the North Korean pair. Yes. Okay. I, ha- I have seen them. Um, they they were at the World Championship last year. I think they were 15th, and um, and then they were at Nebelhorn Trophy, which is where they qualified that North America or North North Korean spot. Uh, they actually trained over the summer with Bruno Marcotte, who is a, uh, a Canadian coach, and they were in Montreal for a few months. And um, this pair is super. I mean, they they are they're, they're not going to win a medal, but um, they have very very solid pair skills, um, very much modeled after the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would not be surprised if if they had trained with the Chinese at some point, uh, because all of their elements are, uh, if you if you look at the way that the the traditional Chinese elements are, they are very very similar uh, in style and in, um, in 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 look and feel to the the traditional Chinese pair elements. They are, you know, they are probably an outside shot for the top ten. Um, but uh, the you know it's it's great to to know that they will be there and and that uh, um, you know the Olympic spirit's kind of alive and well in that sense. Well, thank you so much, Jackie. It was so much fun having you on, wasn't it, Allison? It was, and we talked for a, a lot longer than we could include in this episode. So we're going to put our whole conversation up as a bonus episode because. We got into the inside baseball issues about the scoring system and technicalities. And if you want to hear Jill get really excited about spiral sequences, you got to check it out. It was great. Oh, my gosh. He was so much fun to have on. It was and so smart. Kit. Yeah. Yeah. He was a great kid. So thank you, Allison, for pulling that together. One thing that is not so great is for the Russians. Uh, news yes. came out this week that... Uh, so we've got the ban on Russia, but the IOC said, okay, we'll have clean Russians there. You just had to prove you're clean. Russia submitted like 500 names of athletes to be uh, considered for inclusion. And this week it came out some big names are not going to be included on the list that will be the Olympic athletes from Russia. And right. That so includes, important to yeah. what we're talking about today. Kasina Stolbova, who medaled at Sochi in pairs, and Ivan Bukin, who is an ice dancer, uh, were both not on the eligible list. So they and their partners will not be allowed to compete uh, at this point in Pyeongchang. The IOC is not saying that any of these athletes are necessarily related to doping. But for some reason, they're not approved and the IOC is not giving any more details. They won't discuss individual athletes. So we don't really know why somebody who has no history of being connected to the doping uh, scandal or issues is excluded. Right. And so I, I hope afterwards we get more details, more understanding as to what the, the thinking is behind these, these, exclusions and inclusions but it'll be that'll make a, it interesting for the pairs and the ice dancing competition this year as well 
Yes. I mean, but none of the Russian women, which is where they're the where they're the strongest, have been uh, excluded. So I think that will will go on as as expected. Other news: everybody's favorite shirtless Tongan has qualified as Tonga's first Winter Olympian, Pita Tofatafu, who competed in Taekwondo at uh, Rio, qualified in the very last possible race for cross-country skiing. Yes, and we all remember him as the rather attractive young man with a rather shiny body at the the Rio opening ceremonies. Right, so I guess the big question is going to be, what will he wear? I hope he will wear more. Right. But, oh, <laughs> right, because, so, you know, the Americans got heated jackets. The what Americans is he... got heated jackets, yeah. The, the opening ceremony outfits came out this year for the United, uh, came out this week, rather, for the United States. And they have some heated technology in their jackets. Maybe he could get, like, a skin suit with the heated Ooh, technology so he yeah. could still wear the traditional Tongan costume. Which was so fun. I mean, that's what makes the opening ceremony so fun. Right. Because you get to see something about the country. Right. Yeah, yeah. Ralph Lauren, get on the line. Heated skin suit for PETA. (laughs) All right. Are you ready for figure skating trivia? I'm so nervous. Okay. What is the one discontinued event in figure skating? Figures. School figures. Not school figures. Special figures. Special figures, yes. Only contested at London. Yeah, but they're... In 1908. They're school figures. Well, they're not compulsory. Those weren't... Okay, so this is what my favorite book told me. Oh, okay. Um, Special figures were competed by the men only. And uh, compulsories are standard patterns derived from the figure eight. Special figures are elaborate patterns of skaters' own inventions. So you'd get like rosettes and stars and crosses and curly cues and things like that that weren't necessarily figures because they weren't off of the figure eight. That's just stupid. I'm. <laughs> I. So they were like tattoo artists of the ice. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right, what do you got? Okay. For me? The United States has won three gold medals in women's figure skating since 1992. Can you name them? Does that include 1992? It includes 1992. So we are talking Christy Yamaguchi. Yes. We are talking Tara Lipinski. Yes. And we are talking Sarah Hughes. Yes. Okay. Wrapping up uh, some other news. Team Olympic news about Fever. About our friends. Yeah. Our, new, our Team Olympic Fever. Devin Logan qualified in two events this year. She's- she was so wanting to do that. She, When we spoke to her at Winterfest, she was talking about qualifying, that she really wanted to qualify this time in slope style and half pipe. And she did that this week. And her post on Instagram was kind of a little, got me a little teary. Did it? Aww. It did. Because I met say? her. Yeah. It, it was just, you could tell she was really, really excited about it. Good. And I'm like, she should oh. be. She should be. Good for you. Yeah, that's and, amazing. And- Maybe she'll stay in she'll stay in Korea a couple days longer. Cause remember last time her first her event was like right away and she came home to capitalize on winning a medal and didn't stick around. Maybe you'll so enjoy maybe this time she'll celebrate her twenty fifth birthday in, in Korea. Korea. coming home for for her birthday. Well, I hope you get to celebrate with some hardware, Devin. So congratulations. Yes. 
Also exciting news, our bobsled buddies, Lauren Gibbs and Nick Cunningham, both got selected for the U.S. bobsled team. So excited. So excited for Lauren. Oh, man. And she got paired with Elena Myers-Taylor. Well, I I hope we're looking at some hardware. I do, too. Because we got to meet Elena briefly at at Winterfest, and she was adorable taking the pictures with the... who is that with her? That was with her, her coach, dad. Right? No, I think that was, was her dad. dad. No, it was her dad. Yeah. That's right. And um, they were fantastic. I'm so excited they're paired together. Yeah. And that's I, gonna be great. I, that's going to be great. I'm so excited for them. Right. And I'm excited that Nick gets to go back and do it again. Yeah. And Alex Diebold qualified for snowboard cross. I'm really excited because then I can accost him like another crazy woman and ask him how much fun that was. <laughs> After his event. After his, after hopefully he picks up some more hardware. Yes. Um, Chloe Kim is going back for snowboard. Uh, um, Bradley Wilson, Brad Wilson got selected for moguls again. So we're really excited for him. And yes, we're, we're praying for his back and his knees. Uh, we want to give a quick shout out to least listener Claire, who gave us a lovely write up in her blog, Blurb Musings. So check it out and follow her. When the Olympic Games are on, she gives a whole bunch of observations every day, and they're really fun to read. Her blog is blurbmusings.blogspot.com. We'll have that in our show notes, too. And that does it for this week's episode. Next week, ha, it's going to be great. We're back on the rink. We've got speed skating. We're going to talk with American phenom Erin Jackson, who is an inline skater who recently transitioned to the ice, and she's going to compete for the U.S. in the 500 meters. And then we go back on the snow and we're going to talk cross-country skiing with FasterSkier.com's Jason Albert. And that's going to be big because the cross-country skiing world has just kind of been rocked by the whole uh, Russian doping scandal. So that will be interesting as well. Whew, we, we made it through our big, we our very did. big show. Very big I'm, show. Now I'm tired. <laughs> we'll sleep. I got to go. I got to go unlace these boots. <laughs> well, we were here at my ice, sitting here on my ice skates. My toes are trampling. <laughs> Get your leg warmers on. <laughs> I know. I'm ready. I'm rearing my sequence. <laughs> well, thank you for listening this week. And if you like what you've heard, please tell a friend, review us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, or like our Facebook page. And we will be back here next week with more stories from the Olympic Games. Two with- weeks to go. Ah, so excited. Talk to you next week. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at olymfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. So they were like tattoo artists of the ice? Yeah, yeah. I <laughs>